Greetings and welcome to Dead for Filth. I'm your host, Michael Verratti, and this is the podcast for all things queer horror and beyond. I'm excited to welcome to the show a duo whose impact has helped bring the ideals of filth, horror, and glamour out from the underground and into the hearts of monster kids and drag enthusiasts across the world. As club promoters and hosts, they've established themselves as one of the hottest brands in the world of nightlife. And by taking their brand from the club to the screen, their reach has extended further than ever. Their hit show, Dragula, has taken audiences by storm, putting fright and fashion on display as they hunt for America's next drag super monster. Welcome to the show, the Boulet Brothers. Hello, Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. We're excited excited. to be here. Very excited. I have to say that uh, on the internet, you were one of my most requested guests. And it makes sense. Horror and filth, that's what we all love. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, Well, I think that's testament to the quality and intelligence of your your listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that I finally have you here, why don't we just kick things off uh, the same way I start every show with the same first question I ask every guest. And it's simply this. Why horror? And you can interpret that however you want. Why does horror draw you? What do you think the connection is? But why horror? Well, Michael, we like to scare people. (laughs) So horror is sort of the perfect uh, vehicle to do that with. I think for me, like, I really kind of thought about that for a few minutes. And I think that the place where horror meets with the supernatural and kind of like my interest and obsession with it, even from like a little kid, Mm -hmm. um, that crossroads is what kind of brought me into horror because fantasy is really what gets me going but then those kind of dark roads that lead you to scary places um through things like you know the exorcist and religion and uh, even hellraiser and interdimensional like beings that are there to torture you and those kind of things that supernatural um inspiration is what sort of dropped brought me to horror so you were a fan early on as a kid as a little kid yeah I think kind of morbidly interested in some like specific aspects that I didn't even realize what was happening like like uh the Cenobites and Hellraiser specifically it was very sexual and mm-hmm. like sadomasochistic and I'm sure my mom was like what the fuck is like that about? <laughs> but it's really about the fantasy of it right well it's interesting that you mention sort of the sexual aspect of the Cenobites because one of the things that we talk about with a lot of guests on the show is how horror certainly does seem to have a connection with queer audiences in a very different way than like straight or mainstream horror fans have and uh specifically because of the brand that you've built and uh that cross-section of filth horror glamour drag uh do you think that your interest in horror in some way is tied into your queer identities hmm i've never thought about that honestly what do you think of that i think you know this has been answered i think in in a few different ways that whole idea that as queer youth and when we grew up and i know we've had a similar experience uh it's very different from today there's a lot more visibility and there's a lot more acceptance and you know gay isn't as like taboo i guess as it maybe was when we were growing up so we just felt like ostracized weirdos like there was no place i can speak for myself clearly and fully there was no place for me i felt like a total alien and outcast even sometimes in my own home um and it was always that sense of being like an other or right. you know, the black sheep and when you look at horror movies and or the villains and even things as innocuous as like disney movies you gravitate toward that otherness which is always the villain right they're strange and just different from all of the other celebrated characters you know so i think that that harshness kind of draws us to that character and they turn that otherness and that weirdness and that thing that separates them into their strength that's what 
separates them and sort of makes them special. Um, the bad guy. Go on. Yeah, well, I mean, that's my feeling about it. We've said that, I think, a few different times in a few different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as, well, as drag queens, I think that that definitely rings true. You know what I mean? Like, if you're sort of uh, a young queer person and you're sort of feeling rejected by society and then you can see these sort of powerful horror icons, whether it's like Maleficent or, you know what I mean, different Ursula. There's sort of these like... Uh, super powerful misfit. There's misfits that have sort of turned it into power. You know what I mean? So in that sense, you know, as a young queer person, you can look up to those kind of icons and be like, wow, I really resonate with that person, you know? Um, So I I think that maybe in that way. Yeah. And going back to like some like eighties horror, there was always that sense of like, there was like a fun sexuality in a lot of things. Sure. um, That, you know, when I was growing up, that kind of like, checked off some boxes for me. I'm like, oh, wait, what's that? And it, you know, started to kind of get the idea that like, you know, I'm not so interested in the female characters as much as like the male characters, you know? (laughs) Well, yeah, 80s, a lot of 80s horror had, you know, had some gratuitous horniness to it. What I like about the 80s gratuitous horniness, as it were, is that there are moments in some of those movies where although when people think about the excess of the 80s, it's always like the blood and the boobs or whatever. But if you go back and revisit, it's sort of like what you're saying is there is kind of a focus on hunky guys as well. Mm -hmm. I remember, I think it's uh, Friday the 13th part four, there's this extended shower sequence with one of the guys that he's like, showering for a while and um, you're like i had it on rewind and like oh, it yeah. was a good one i'm just like on usa up all night i was like ronda is giving me all of the gifts tonight you know <laughs> halloween four there was a character too like brody he was like the the hot cop guy that was like do you remember that right <laughs> and his girlfriend was like the slutty one with like the big tits and everything and it was i don't know very horny uh, yeah. i love it I, it's funny because i can clearly mark walk, watching those movies like the uh the dudes across the franchises like in uh nightmare on elm street four and five her boyfriend dan she's always like we have to solve the crime dan i'm like maybe you should stay home with dan for like an hour at least <laughs> right and then go and do whatever right. or you go solve it and leave him here exactly <laughs> Um, you know, we kind of gave a little nod to that in uh, in season two of Dragula, where we did the camp, the um, cabin in the woods episode, the one with Peaches Christ. Yeah, yeah. so we try to recreate that kind of eighties horniness, like bitch pudding with like the half shirt. Like she nailed it that episode, and she kind of she captured exactly what we're talking about yeah. with like the the big tits and the big blonde hair, and you know, she was the total scream queen victim. Well, since you bring it up, and I, I when I had bitch on, I told her that was one of my favorite challenges because I'm a huge fan of 80s horror. Uh, and it was sort of an homage to the Scream Queens we grew up with. Do you have a favorite Scream Queen? Hmm. I mean, I'm always partial to Jamie Lee Curtis because Halloween's my favorite horror movie. So, and and I especially like that they've, you know, in the past 10 years brought her back around a couple of times, which, you know, I thought it was so cool when they did H2O and they brought her back and, you know, it was just kind of iconic. So I think I'm partial to her maybe. Are you ready to feel old? H2O was 20 years ago. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. We <laughs> watched it? it when we first no, met. We went to the oh, movies God, in New York. It? Yeah. That's that scene where there's that door. Wait, I just closed. really aged us. That's okay. <laughs> that, little, that door closes and there's that porthole glass, right? That's that one. Yeah. 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 That, I remember that just because it was such a throwback to, oh my God, another Halloween movie and bringing these two characters together again. And that specific instance was really powerful. I mean, it's, it's kind of one of the only things I remember from 
that movie, my memory is like just horrendous. I really like that. I, I love that series. And, you know, of course, they just started it started getting so crazy because it started going one way. And then they're like, no, let's go back in time and pretend like part three and four didn't happen. It was just like it got so confusing. It was like, whatever. What's even happening anymore with this movie? <laughs> Well, I mean, they're good popcorn films, I think, at the least. Yeah. And, and at the most, they're like really engaging horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so s- going back to those early days of watching these movies uh, and, you know, finding the, the otherness and the titillation of them all. At what point did you realize that um, maybe you were more than a fan and that you wanted to kind of engage the lifestyle of horror? And did that connect with your drag identity immediately or, or did that evolve? I can only speak for myself when we have different experiences. I was into horror from moment one out of the womb. It was my thing. Like I loved it. And, you know, I was always building haunted houses in our yard on Halloween and just doing crazy shit to embarrass my parents all the time. <laughs> and at school, I was like writing little horror novels and stuff. When I, I mean, literally I was in third grade younger, like, you know, picturing all this horrible shit and writing things and reading a lot. And, um, and I've resonated with those characters. Like I talked to, I always was like, you know, the villain in the cartoon. It was like, you know, Skeletor, Evil Lynn. Like, I'm like, that's me. That is who I am. You know, right. and I always really secretly felt like that my whole <laughs> life. So when we started getting into drag, it was like, okay, great. Like, this is exact. Now I look like who I really believe I am. <laughs> right. So it wasn't so much putting on a character as bringing out the truth. Yeah, I felt like that. I mean, you know, of course it's exaggerated. You have to you have to apply it for stage and nightlife, so you exaggerate the whole thing. But yeah, like I, I always resonated with those characters. I'm like, I should not be in this world. I should be in whatever world they're in. That's where I belong, you know? I love that. For sure. Um, I think it was a little different for me, although even at a really young age, like I was really into theater and I always gravitated toward the darker characters when the our, our local summer theater was doing um like melodramas i auditioned for this the villain and you know was cast as the villain and then there were there was like a local um haunted house that would come around every halloween and i would work in the haunted house and i think when, once i went to school though and I, I went to college my you know my interests really kind of varied and but there was always that attraction to again like supernatural and fantasy and sort of like I guess like darkness um, right. without sounding cheesy or cliche, but I've kind of always like when I was 12, I did have like a hooded cloak that I would like walk around my basement and, and like put on spooky music and be that character. It's like so cheesy and nerdy, but that, that character lives inside of me. Um, going through nightlife, I think was just playing with fantasy. Mm-hmm. You can, we created a, experiential kind of nightclubs where when you, when you came inside, you were in our world. And our drag was sort of born from all of that, um, that experience in nightlife and then marrying all of those things like my interest in nightlife and queer culture and that like dark nerd that's sort of been inside of me since I was like a little kid all sort of manifests within the Boulay brothers. So it kind of hits that sweet spot and checks off all those boxes for me. So you talked about the nightlife and creating the experience and curating this world where people come into the, the realm of the boulets as opposed mm. to just going to a club. And it's yeah. true. I remember the first uh, event of yours that I went to was uh, Dragula Night at Faultline a number of years ago. And just to walk in and see like, you know, kids with like fangs and you know, blood and uh, on a random July Saturday or whatever, <laughs> as opposed to around Halloween. Oh, yeah. it was, as a kid growing up who lived for that stuff to know that I didn't have to wait till October, it was a joy. And so... 
obviously there's a journey to get there though. Could you talk to me a little bit about the creation of your characters? How did, how did the Boulay brothers come to be? So it's in a nutshell, uh, you know, we create these fantasy worlds, like we said. And so we had this, we had an event uh, called Miss Kitty's Parlor. And um, it was sort of like, we wanted to take an old cabaret with like a, a, like a hostess figure and in kind of 20s, but like updated for like a modern, like electro kind of nightlife mm -hmm. thing. So that's what we did. We built this fantasy world that was called Miss Kitty's Parlor. And there was all these stage shows and there was like fetish things happening. It was really like New Yorky, it was very edgy. It was mixed, gay, and straight. And we created this character, Miss Kitty. So it's a friend of ours that we sort of uh, helped her create this character. We made her costumes, and she was like bigger than life. And she was just, you know, the grand dame of the night. And she hosted our parties for many years. And we worked behind the scenes producing the events and uh, and coming up with all the ideas. And we made all the costumes and sets, and we did everything. It kind of cracked uh, me up. Just to interject for a second, because people would be like, "Oh, I know you guys. Like you, you guys are like the curtain guys at Kitties." Because it would be like a big stage, and we would curate all these shows and all the stuff. But we would open the curtains for when we, you know, Kitty came out and she hosted the night. It was very like this body madam, and it was funny because we for years we never really got the the cred as the creators, but right. that was fine for us we were behind the scenes just sort of like pulling the strings and making it happen mm -hmm. yeah so event you know this happened for years and the club was very successful i mean it was our full-time job for a very long time it's something we didn't plan on happening and did uh but she had to leave the, the state she moved away and it was like oh my god how is this happening it was something she couldn't get out of and um so we sort of had to come out and start hosting our own event because we tried guest hosts and people were pissed. They were like, not happy. They were like, where's Miss Kitty? This person's an imposter. They're trying to take over the night. Wow. So we had to be like, look, it is our night and we're taking it over because we were in charge of it the whole fucking time. Fuck you, you know? <laughs> so we kind of had to develop our own characters. And that's really where it was born from. We were just like, okay, like, everything that we we used to uh, sort of express ourselves through the clubs right. so we would build everything we would costume everybody we would tell the stories like and it was complicated and amazing and fun but then we said we're going to pull this inwards and just be express ourselves this way you know so we sort of finally embraced his his background in theater i like to sing and stuff so we just sort of shifted our uh focus you know now was that the first time doing drag for both of you then or <laughs> no <clears throat> uh we did you know when we met in new york we <laughs> legendarily went out in drag one night oh my god it's so pathetic like we were you know, it was like supergirl and like catwoman or something <laughs> but uh you know again in fantasy and i look back at those pictures and i'm like girl we have come a long way but um you know Kitty's Miss Kitty's had a interesting format because we would very much as Tranny Shack, but we were kind of running parallel for many of the years that Tranny Shack was running right. and sort of doing something in the same vein. But we didn't realize it because we had never been to Tranny Shack and ours was for more of like a mixed, almost like kind of fetishy dark crowd where, you know, Tranny Shack was definitely like, you know, just going wild for the gay scene in San Francisco. But um, at intervals during any night at Miss Kitty's, the curtain would open. And again, the curtain was like, you know, big red velvet curtain kind of central to the dance floor would just open kind of unannounced. And you'd you'd watch a show. There'd be a little vignette for five minutes and it could be anything from, um, you know, a, a scene in a trailer park or it could be outside or a, a construction site or whatever. And we we put on these different characters. So while the party's happening, the music is pumping. We're in the back changing. I'm going to be a construction worker. I'm going to be like a overweight old lady nurse or I'm going to be a, a, a prostitute, you know, and we would be in drag quite a bit like throughout the night. And those, for years. Yeah, so we did this every Friday. Yeah. So we uh, we sort of got to practice our drag 
for a very long time before we were actually drag characters. So that's a, you know, a lot of queens when they start out, they have to sort of like live in the public eye and slowly get better and then look back and be like, oh my God, look at our horrible pictures. For us, it was weird because we sort of just appeared and we had our shit together and people were like, where the fuck did these guys come yeah, from? Like you know? arms. Yeah. yeah. So because we had our, we had been practicing makeup, looks, performing, all we'd done, we had done everything for years at that point. So it was very easy to just, you know, be like, okay, now we have a name and this is who we are. Well, and speaking of the name, so Miss Kitty flees the scene. Yeah. And the boulets are born in the way that you are now in drag out front. Right. Yes. Tell me how you chose the name Swan and Dragmorta, the Boulet brothers. Where'd that come from? We don't go that deep on this. Oh, and, yeah? And yeah, a lot of people have dug for this. I mean, just to keep it in cut. First, first of all, the moniker the Boulet Brothers was born before our individual names. Okay. And, and it for was, a long time. For years. And because we didn't separate ourselves, um, you would never see one without the other. Right. And it was just, I think, in the context of the way we interfaced with an audience. It was always in the club or it was in part of our promotion or, you know, if we had a video or whatever it was, we would always be together and it would always be under the context of the Boulay brothers. Yeah. And so, you know, the whole idea of the Boulay brothers, like I told you, the, the other, the atmosphere fear it was born in was sort of circusy and it was yeah. like circus Barker host. So we sort of went with this kind of like ringling brothers like that. That's why it's Boulay brothers because it's mm -hmm. sort of like, we wanted to position ourselves as, yes, we're the hosts, we're the circus barkers that come out before the shows. Even though there was a lot of gender fuckery happening because we would wear like powdered wigs and like, you know, sometimes dresses or have like our boy chest out, but wearing high heels. And like, we've always loved to like, just kind of like fuck up and, you know, just kind of be like a, the, the whole party, Miss Kitties was kind of like a gender blender at a time when um, in Los Angeles, you really didn't have a lot of that. It was very kind of separate right. it was very segregated and coming from new york we were we were very familiar with a mixed crowd and we favored that and right. like, you know kitties are one of our best friends and she's a straight girl and we're gay guys and like we like to really yeah, everybody thought up. she was a drag queen which is i love it now thinking back so many times we just didn't understand like she'd be like i just got interviewed for this magazine look guys and i'm like this this is a drag magazine but right. that's okay <laughs> 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 How often do you find that people are surprised to learn that you're not actually brothers? Kind of a lot. And it's weird because we, I feel like we've said it a thousand I times. Like everybody always asks us and I'm like, no, Sherry, we're not really, you know, like we don't <laughs> really look alike out of makeup, you know, but yeah, I guess a lot, right? Yeah. More than I, I, I would have been prepared for years later. They still think like, oh. You and your brother are so talented. And that still fucking tickles me when people say that because they do right. even still. But I, that's when I love to like give like a nice big like tongue kiss on stage and people like freak out like that. that we haven't been able to do that in a while. Yeah. But back at the beginning, it would be like, you know, we would just turn and make out with each other. And as the host and being introduced on the microphone as the Boulay brothers and underneath this whole idea that we're related, you'd get like the biggest reaction from like the straight girls in the front row would just gag and I thought it was like the best thing. Well, what I love about it too is it definitely speaks to your uh, whole kind of construct of, of playing with subversive ideas. Yes. And so even though the name was born out of this sort of like circus homage, as you say, because it throws people for a loop, you can, tra you can have this transgressive sort of moment where you can fuck with people using it. And I love that too, because even in your name, you're messing with people 
in a way that befits your brand. And I think that's genius. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a, like we subscribe fully to the idea that everything happens for a reason, you know, and that was kind of difficult to commit to like, what is this moniker going to be that kind of encapsulates both of us in our business and helps define who we are. But the idea that brothers was attached to it. We now years later, absolutely love even, even, because we've gone more into a drag direction where we're doing more like, you know, female presenta- uh, presentation or presenting as female or, you know, uh, I don't know, extraterrestrial of the female <laughs> persuasion or whatever it might be. You know, I think, uh, yeah, the idea that we're brothers, we're, it is that idea that we're fucking with gender just by the name. So from the creation of the Boulay Brothers, you started doing more club nights beyond Miss Kitty's. Uh, it was when abouts was Dragula as a club night born? I think it was about five years ago. It, you know, it's interesting. Dragula has a magic to it. I mean, seriously, in a way like and I I'm a skeptic of everything, but there is something about this brand that is powerful and magical and it, it just works. Um, the party when we decided to start it. We said we, we, we our parties became business, you know, and so it, it's very uh, complex and it's a big deal when you really have a big promotions business happening. And, you know, started turning into so much about money because everybody saw the potential in the events that we we're doing. And we're very creative people. We, you know, we care about money, but not really. You know what I mean? We really care about the experience that we're making and just enjoying the, the work that we do. Um, and so we said, God, we're spending so many time though in the kind of parties that just are like, How, what's your barring? What's this and that? And we're like, what if we threw a party that was like 100% everything we wanted and we don't give a shit if nobody comes, right? right. So we were like, it's Dragula. We're like, it, we're gonna make a party that is literally just to entertain us. We have our other parties that pay the bills. This one, we said, if 50 people come, we'll be happy. So we're like, and everybody we asked about, we're like, we're going to do this party. They're like, that is so weird and stupid. No one's coming. I swear to God, everybody told us not to do it. I was literally like, don't do that. <laughs> and who, by the way, created the uh, the theme song for the show. Now. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, and then we threw the party and there was a huge line around the block. And it just, to me, it just kind of goes to show, like, if you do what you love, if you believe in it, that's that works the best. You know what I mean? Those are the things that usually really have magic to them and work. So, yeah, I mean, I that was a long answer to your question. But, yeah, it was about five years ago. I love long answers oh, okay, because good. it gives me more of your story. Yeah. And uh, so from the get go, because you were true to your brand, Dragula has a magic. How many different club nights over your careers have you hosted with different titles and things of our own creation yeah. or in at? I mean, of our own creation, I'd probably have to say, what, maybe ten. Like 10. I would yeah. guess like 10. I think we have kind of an uh, unusual track record because our first up, uh, the first party we ever threw was Miss Kitty's and it lasted nine years. It was like incredibly successful. Right. You know, when we talk about the era of Dragula, we were sort of crossing over. Um, you know, we had reached a little bit of a low point, both personally and in business. And we were just kind of like, are we going to continue to do parties? We hit like a really rough time in our life and um, it, it was transitional. And I think at that time we said we, we recommitted ourselves to the night. I right. mean, that's the way I look at it. I'm like, no, we're not going to change. We're going to get through this shit. And now we're going to do some some shit that we love that just kind of sings to all the things that we love right and 
and crossover and really fully commit to being gay promoters, too, because at the time we were doing a lot of fetish and mixed events. And that was, you know, hot. And I, I think it thrilled us for years. But we wanted to be around queers. We wanted to be amongst family and people that could relate to us right because we were almost like the token like oh those are those gay guys that like made this party like oh they, they made all, they make all these like freaky fe- events that we all love and they're all like hooking up and having sex because it's mostly straight but we right. wanted to be around gay people so we came out of that low point in our lives we kind of miskeyed uh, the idea of dragula just fucking dong like hit us in this moment of like revelation we're like we're totally doing this this is going to be fucking amazing right we just went in with that kind of energy and it was and you could just feel it being in the room there was one particular moment at the fault line because we, we lasted at the fault line for what maybe a year it wasn't a long time because we you know it's weird when we started the party I caught it Dragula Los Angeles, the first party. And people were like, why is it Dragula Los Angeles? Because this party is going to be all over the world. And they were like, and literally within, I remember talking to Heclina and I was like, I'm bringing this to San Francisco. And she's like, oh my God, it's so big. It's going to do so good. And she's like, how long have you guys been doing the one in LA? I was like three months. And she's like, what? <laughs> she's like, who takes a party on the road after three months? I was like, us. Cause I knew, we, just knew it. we knew because also because we had the experience of the other parties that we threw and we were so careful. And we, I, I almost feel like we squandered a lot of opportunities because we were so cautious and this time I was like no it's like balls to the wall we're doing it we're gonna do it full blast you know yeah god I sorry I was like off on a tangent but I'm remembering now the original question was like how many parties have we thrown um and yeah Dragula is another one where it was like one of the first gay just gay parties even though you know we accept anybody that wants to come and party even enter the pageant like whether you're straight gay trans drag king all that like we loved everybody to party with us but it was in a leather bar and it was a gay club and you know that was like kind of like our first our first gay party if i'm not mistaken i don't remember honestly but it 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 was one of the first ones almost like first time up at that home run you know it just does really well and um there's this one particular moment i just want to share and i'm not even if it's if it's appropriate right now but i'm going to tell you the story anyway i love inappropriateness it's It's my favorite okay at the fault line this is when i was like like the all the hairs on my back went up i got goosebumps and i was like I am fucking so alive right now and all these people understand my experience and we're all just like feeling this moment together it was one of the first parties at the fault line um it was like late in the night the pageant had happened everyone was drunk and that song from like i think it's thrill kill comes on Mm -hmm. and um i can't remember the name of it i think it's god whatever it is but it's like thrill kill thrill kill thrill kill cult right um and there's this chant that's just kill 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 and everyone in the club just starts fist pumping like it was like a a gay riot like mosh pit and everyone's just screaming kill kill and it's drag queens and punk fags and just it was like unbelievable it was so amazing i loved it because you know it's weird it's like uh i feel like the gay scene started to get really safe for a minute right now it was very mainstream and it's it was it's so amazing that uh there's acceptance that there's so much more acceptance now than when we were younger because i grew up in a very sort of punk rebellious skinhead craziness you know and a lot of the queer culture mixed in with that scene in dc at the time um and things have become so safe that I felt like the politics and sort of like, um, I don't know, like the, the reality of what gay culture was, was starting to get erased because the more mainstream it became and the more accepted, the more I almost felt like the community was, uh, 
merging in and, and becoming more like our heterosexual neighbors and families. And, you know, and it just, it felt weird. It felt like we were abandoning our identity a little bit. And that night that he's talking to, she's talking about was sort of to me too. I was like, okay, this is it. You know what I mean? Right. This is like a celebration of, of, uh, that kind of culture again. And, and honestly, we've carried that through to the the show you know that's right. a big part of what the show is it is not safe it's not pc it is offensive it makes you really question things you know and for me drag is about all those things it is something that's political it's powerful it's beautiful it's shocking it's offensive you know that's what that's the drag that i know that's the drag right. that i grew up on and that's the drag that i want to remind people is out there because it's getting very you know it's getting very mainstream you know Yes. And I think that, you know, what you tapped into with the creation of Dragula as a club night and brought over to the show is exactly the idea that we want something that's audacious. And the idea that, you know, queer in a way is still rallying against the quote unquote norm. And one thing that we've seen in a different way with this show, because we talked to so many different people who have been drawn to horror uh, and through their queerness or, or otherwise, is that people want to have things that challenge what's outside. And uh, we need it. And that's it's true. I mean, I have no illusions as to why that club night was a success because there are a hundred drag shows that are the same, and you provided an avenue of something darker and more wild and people are hungry for it and they're still hungry for it. There was another aspect to it that I think is pretty poignant because at the time I'd never been to a party, specifically a drag party that with a pageant or shows that featured the audience because we invited the people that came in attendance to compete. We'd grab 10 of them or whatever, put them through this, this crazy stuff. But really it was like, we might be shoving 12 hot dogs in your mouth or asking you to like, you know, I don't know, just like do all other like crazy outrageous stuff. But underneath it all, it was a celebration of like what they what they choose to bring to the table, what they look like that night, what they were presenting as and all of this kind of weird subversive stuff that we were all sort of like uh, loving. They were the they were the stars. Right. And, and that was part of the magic of the night. So at what point did you realize that this could be more than a club night and you wanted to turn it into a show. I think it was like literally the first night we have a note in our phone. We keep a lot of notes in our phone. Like when we're, cause we're always busy and we're just like writing everything down. And I, I have a note that says, turn this into a reality show. <laughs> really? Yeah. And we it was like, I, I just feel like we knew we wanted to do a show and we weren't sure exactly what, but I was like, this is the show, you know, because right. we took the club around to so many different cities around the country and it always went off. It was, it just really resonated with people. And I mm -hmm. thought, wow, this format needs to be like worldwide. There, right. There's so many people out there that resonate with this kind of energy that we need to make it bigger and more accessible to more people. Yeah, the, the idea was never to like, oh, this, this just has to be huge. This has to be huge. Like that's not uh, a conversation we have with ourselves. It was more like everywhere we go with this, people tap into it. There, right. are, there are kind of like disenfranchised freaks and weirdos everywhere. And this gives them something to celebrate. This gives right. them a, a church to go to on, you know, whatever day it airs on. And we want to just provide that for them, however many there were, if there was a hundred million or just a hundred, you know? Right. What I think is interesting and maybe not a lot of people realize 
is you say that you wanted to provide something for freaks and weirdos and, and people from the world that you come from to connect to. Uh, but it's so earnest because a lot of the show is actually based on your actual experience. You've talked about how uh, you used to host at Fetish Nights. And I know that you've done uh, hosting gigs like at Wasteland Weekend, which became a challenge in season two of Dragula. Uh, how important was it for you to take all of these things that like were from your back catalog and bring them to the show? I think it's very important because, you know, like we said, what we're trying to celebrate is an alternative form of drag. There's a, a sort of process that a lot of queens today go through, which is like, you get your gig, you go to the bar, you get tipped, you know, you know, all this. And I'm like, okay, that's great. And that's nothing wrong with that. But for us, we're like, we want to push the ideals that we celebrate. So for us, if we're going to pick a herald to go forth and sort of help us spread that message, they need to go through the same kind of things that we went through. So everything that we do on the show that we put them through are things that come from our history and our clubs. And it's funny because people online always get, why are you doing all this stuff to these girls? And I'm like, from the world that we come from, it is not a big thing. Like like the queens that we, like Squeaky Blonde and stuff. Do you think he would give a shit if you tattooed him or Pierce? You know what I mean? Like no. this is the world that we came from. I love and Squeaky. And this is, it's sort of our origin. So we want to expose our contestants to that same kind of thing. And for me personally, and we just talked about this recently, if you're going to get a political message across and you're going to go out there and change people's minds, you have to be tough. Right. You have to be tough. You have to be able to go through things. You have to go, be able to go into even in our workroom, you know, you see the girls at first they fight. They're going at each other. And it's important to me that they learn how to deal with that in a mature way. That's part of us building a character, you yeah. know what I mean? And so for our winners to come out and have went through all that, I felt like, yeah, you know, you, you can handle it now. You can handle a good beating if you have to. <laughs> well, speaking of a good beating, of course, I can't have you on and not talk about the thing that uh, both engrosses and makes the skin crawl of your viewers. And that's the extermination challenges. Um, because you talk about putting the girls through some things. Wow. That's all I have to say. Uh, first off, I assume that you come up with all of these challenges yourselves. We're, oh, very, yeah. we're very tied to the experience of Dragula. There, not much has changed from the club, which we designed everything to the show. Our hand is in about just about everything. Like we write all of the opening scenes, all the death scenes, the exterminations, the challenges. Like we, yeah. So I have to ask. Is, has there been an extermination challenge now that I've, I've got you on uh, the couch that you yourself would not want to do? I would do all of them. Yeah. I mean, I think most of them we have. Like I said, we don't want to ask the girls to do stuff that we won't, except for the one thing that we didn't do was the lie detector, just because we've never been in a situation where someone's given us a yeah. lie detector test. But everything else. Well, well, we have a surprise for you today. Uh, bring it on. I kind of want to do it. I'm so into that. Because here, like, we have a very amazing relationship with the truth. Because the tr I think the truth is kind of a hard thing for people to actually wrap their minds around. And it goes, it goes to these challenges and stuff, too. The truth is... The world is moving forward and there is a lot of acceptance, but the truth is also that there's a lot of homophobia and people will not tell you to your face exactly how they feel about you. Right. The world is is getting maybe 
easier to inhabit if you're different. At the same time, though, especially under this political climate, it the opposite is the truth. It, the, the world is become people's minds are becoming smaller. Mm-hmm. We, we just have to toughen up and be able to represent and not be so scared of things like words or confrontation and be able to kind of hash those things out. You have to have a thick skin. And we're we you know, lying and manipulation and shit like that is just not in our language at all. So a lie detector would be just let's. Yeah, because, you know, you I, this is the thing. I'm like, one of these girls is going to win and we're going to end up spending a lot of time with them. And right. I want to know what they're really like. I don't want to find out later. <laughs> so <bitch> syndrome. <laughs> that's what we call secret bitch syndrome. You, you make someone win and then they turn on your ass. I'm like, that's not happening. <laughs> the one challenge that I, I can just admit freely, because I, I don't I don't think it's I have no control over it and I don't think it's shameful at all. Like the only thing that gets me going where I was like, I'd be like, this could knock me out is the eating one. Yeah? Yeah. I I don't know. I could probably grin and bear the eating. The uh the first challenge of season two with the the lance the step. oh the yeah. piercing yeah oh my god but I have to say your show is great to watch with a, a group because there's always someone who reacts poorly and that to me is delicious yeah, yeah. I love when someone loses their mind over content yeah and, totally. uh, at the night of uh, your premiere uh, in L A there was a woman behind me when the piercing started that she was just not having it and that to me was like. I yes. get I get a great joy when, I, when I'm around those kind of things. Yeah, we moments. we like just like horror. We like shock. You know what right. I mean? We do. And like I love that people react the way that they do. And another level, like you know, being people like we thrown these fetish parties and everything. You know, most of the people that we pull in to do those exterminations are from our parties. The guys that did the tattoos, they used to uh, do live tattooing at our parties all the time. The piercings, like the core group, they're the same people that we've used for parties where they've kind of hung themselves from big flesh hooks and stuff. So it's kind of like Suspensions and- from the world we come from. It's funny. Those people like laugh at the challenges, but then you see people in the real world. They're like, oh my God, how can they do this to people? In the real world. But that, that is the truth. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, of course it hi it the whole po- half the point of the show is to shock people so yeah you know like the challenges are gonna do that if they weren't people would complain that's true and shocks and engaging audiences with horror and all sorts of uh wild ephemera you're now about ready to start on season three so i just have to ask you know what's it like seeing this show that you had planned like maybe a hundred people will watch it maybe a hundred million but like we're just making it because this is important to us but to see it's actually been successful what's that feel like and what's that process been like i mean it's thrilling specifically when i look at our ghouls for me i have this prideful moment just to know that um for queen you know so many of the girls have careers where before they may have had careers had we not interjected with this idea of dragula and sort of brought them into the fold but i think it would have taken them a lot longer to get to where they are and maybe and maybe some of them wouldn't have had the right series you know sequence of opportunities to have that kind of visibility but when i see meatball and abora and vander and bitch and james and like at any given point like one time last week we were in louisville performing at play and we kind of tweeted out like it's so amazing that so many of our goals are just scattered across the country performing and thriving and like being successful and being visible and sharing like their artistry. I take a lot of pride in that. It makes me genuinely happy that I could, you know, help someone and just elevate them to a place of visibility to touch as many people as possible. Yeah. I mean, I feel like 
it, it's weird. I'm so in it every day. Mm-hmm. I know that it's going to be huge. Right. I know, I know what, if I didn't think it was going to work the way it is, I wouldn't be doing it. I get frustrated that it's not working faster than it is, you know, <laughs> yes. because I just feel like we're putting so much in it. It's important and it really resonates with people. You know, when we started out, we had no advertising budget. We had nothing. And, and the community that built up around it worldwide was massive. I mean, with consider you have no advertising budget and we can go to Glasgow, Scotland and have a giant line of people wanting to meet us and, and talk about the show. That says something, you know? It does. And since you bring up travels, Louisville, Glasgow, you have been traveling around the world recently. Uh, have there been any interesting moments out, out on, the, on the tour trail that you have had recently that you care to share? There was an experience that we had, um, and it, and I don't remember exactly the gig, but there was a, you know, it was a meet and greet. So it was after the show, after the night it was kind of winding down and people had the opportunity to meet us. And we have this little moment with each other and talk. It was, um, this specific exchange where this one queen and he was, you know, I, I'd say like kind of gender bender. I was like, you know, not specifically one or the other, but he was telling his experience of how before the show he was really kind of ostracized from his community. Like basically no one gave a shit about him. Mm-hmm. And when, after the show came out, it sort of, ele- you know, elevated and exalted this new set of standards. And he was kind of, he, he basically was telling the story about his acceptance and how the show helped to change that. And he, he was crying through it. And it was so, for me, I, I wasn't ready for that at all. And I kind of loved it, but of course I was like, you need to get away from me now because I'm not going to cry on this goddamn stage. <laughs> you know, yeah, that moment was impactful. And we've heard a bunch of, you know, people say so much shit to you. It's hard to keep, you know, it's, it's hard to, to believe some of it because sometimes you're just talking with people that are fans and, you know, but recently a lot of people have been telling us like, I wouldn't get hired before Dragula. I did not. I'm a monster queen and I never got hired and I'm getting booked in my town now and respected. That makes me feel so good because when we were growing up, it just wouldn't happen. You know what I mean? It wouldn't, you would never get hired. Not only would you not, they probably wouldn't let you in the damn bar, you know? So that, that, that has been very pleasing. Yeah. And even like little children that kind of like not in live. I don't like that part. I I get, I'm, I'm kind of like obsessed with it because, okay, there's a little girl on a, her the, her mom is a fan of the show. She she sends us a photo of her daughter's like she's like six or seven, a little blonde girl, very like pretty little princess looking girl, and our faces are on her birthday cake. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> you know, for me, I mean, I don't you know I don't know if the world drag specifically horror Dragula style drag should interface with children. Like I definitely probably think that that shouldn't happen. But I think what it's what little kids might be attracted to is that fantasy aspect yeah. these magical creatures and i fucking live for that stuff that goes right back to me as a little kid yeah i mean you think about i mean really we're talking about our origins and the sort of characters and things that we resonated with when we were kids we are that for for her you yeah. know i mean for me it's like you know dragon slayer sorceresses dungeons and dragons dark elves and like vampires and like extraterrestrials uh this is what kind of like fuels my tank of inspiration. I mean, if a little kid can look at, you know, Disney villains, I guess they can look at us, right? It's not that much of a leap. Uh, It has come up over the different episodes of the show where different guests always return to the idea of Disney villains sort of being their entry into like a little more subversive 
And I liked at the top of this episode where uh, you actually maybe inadvertently referred to them as horror icons. But when you think of Maleficent or Ursula, it's kind of true. Uh, So I'm wondering, just because we're on the subject, do you have a favorite Disney villain? I mean, Ursula is such a queen. I mean, she's... Literally designed after a queen. Yeah, Yeah, she's based on uh, divine physically. Yeah, yeah, amazing. I I kind of resonate with... uh, the evil queen from Snow White, right? And okay. I am half when she's looking beautiful and half when she's a hag. Yeah, that I, I I'm into her, but really, He Man, Masters of the Universe is like a big draw for me and my drag for oh, sure. Wow. Yeah, and I think of Snake Mountain and yeah. Skeletor. I mean, I'm like, that's I need to live there. Like, I, I should live there. Skeletor and Evelyn's <laughs> relationship, I think, sometimes is reflective of our relationship <laughs> in some ways when we riff on that. You know, because we present as a front together always. You know, but of course, when you have like two evil forces in the background, like in the castle, like we have static amongst each other. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know that anyone ever particularly called Skeletor out but I kind of feel like Skeletor is a drag icon. I think Skeletor is definitely He's almost a Dom Bottom and <laughs> Evil Lynn and his drag queen friend, right? It's true. Yeah. Beast Man is like the um the like leather daddy of the group, yeah. right? Uh, isn't there like a, there, a guy from Eternity, one of the good guys called like Fisto? Who has, okay, like- but the He-Man side, really, if you if you rewatch the beginning of, of He-Man, okay, and he, he comes out, he's like, I'm Prince Adam, I'm a bottom, and when I raise the sword, I turn into a top. And then, <laughs> no, and then he's no, like, he says, no. here, fabulous, secret fabulous secrets were revealed to me from my drag queen who looks like Cher the Sorceress, right? True, yes. And then here's my leather daddy friend, Man at Arms, shows up. I mean, it's like, Every and then he's like, yeah. and here's my hag, Tila. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a group of people walking down the street. Yeah. And he's got a cat. Mm-hmm. Yes. He puts into fetish gear. Totally. That's right. And who loves dressing their animals up more than gays? Right. Exactly. Hi. Hello. We just broke it down. There mm-hmm. it is. That's why we love it. And uh, hi, they're so hot. They're all like jacked as hell. None of them ever work out. That's and all right. I always had that like the furry underwear. That was a thing. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. We should bring that back. Looks for season three. <laughs> uh, the Grayskull Challenge. Yes. yes. Fantastic. Uh, so we talked about how you uh, both really dig the, the world of shock and uh, kind of putting your audience and your girls through it. Um, but because we also know how reality TV works, there's a lot of things that get left on the cutting room floor. Was there anything that maybe was too shocking for television or that you wish had made the cut that just for time or whatever was was left out? I don't know if it was too shocking, but there was a lot more, for example, of the piercings. Like um, there was an original cut that was just almost unbearable in in its in its duration mm. like the first the first uh what do you call it? like the first pre- the intensity too the music that they had picked everything is like guys this yeah, is like torture like, point I'm like ha- this I'm is not have, like, a panic attack like i don't think we should put this out there it's yeah it was really really intense i mean yeah is there anything that sticks out that we we pretty much include everything i mean I can't think of anything that we were just like, no, we can't use that. You yeah. know, it just, if it's editing, it's for time, honestly, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, like he said, the, the extension of the piercing, it didn't need to be that long. It's like, and that, that was an interesting thing because why we did intend for them to be pierced, we did not intend for them to, to do as many piercings or as huge of gauges as they did, which is something that we, 
weren't encouraging them to do. You know, they, they were, were asking the guy, do you have bigger needles? And I was like, the girls were like, they really took that. Like you're, they went in one at a time. So they, they didn't know how far the, their competitors, the other girls up for extermination were taking it. So they themselves were the ones that's like, okay, bring me the next one. Like, get the bigger one. And, you know, universally they all did it. Cause at first I was kind of like, I don't, I don't want this to be, let's just fuck up drag Queens for no reason. And, and you, you know what I mean? Like, yep. let's just really put them through it and, and have it be that. Cause that's not the, the purpose of the show. Right. The, 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 the exterminations in, in a real way are kind of symbolic of challenges that we all kind of experience in life being, being outcast or being queer in a predominantly straight world. And like, you know, like this, this idea that the world is tough and right. the, and these kind of things are that some of the things that we've experienced in our path through nightlife and through drag. So we wanted it to be more reflective of that, not like torture porn. Yeah. Right? For us as you know, uh, us and other people from our generation and club, you know, we all have like, piercings you know old piercings and ta bad tattoos and shit it's kind of like commonplace you know right. what i mean so i mean for them it's not but they gotta learn right <laughs> <laughs> so as the show has gone on to be a success and you're preparing for a new season you are still out there doing club nights and events and you have a regular event here in la every friday uh called queen kong it's friday right yeah it is every friday, friday. Yeah. I didn't want to be the person who was wrong on my no, own. No, no, it's uh, <laughs> so. How is Queen Kong different from Dragula? Because I know that you are very uh, savvy to how you curate your nights. So yeah. what's what's the differentiation? Queen Kong is our queer party. Queen Kong is like our family uh, sort of alternative gay party. It's not horror. It's nothing like that. I it's, think if it shares any any pool with Dragula, if there's a crossover, it's it's the nature the the idea that it's wild, right? Um, the wildness of Dragula and the wild and the wild sort of celebratory queerness of Queen Kong, mm -hmm. I think, is kind of something that that both uh, both brands share. But that that darkness isn't there. And I have to re remind girls sometimes because we recently were traveling and we had um, Laganja Estranja from Drag Race kind of sub in as the host for Queen Kong the night that we were gone. And we were talking about, she, you know, like, well, what do you want to do? Like, what kind of look do you want? Let's design your music for your intro. And she's like, well, I want to go like really dark and spooky. And I'm like, let me remind you that this is not Dragula. And she was like, oh, shit, girl, you're right. OK, yeah, I have, to, yeah, I have some, to be reminded of that sometimes. I think people that know us from the show, you know, some of the drag race girls, when they come in, they're like, I brought this really spooky show. I was like, please don't. It's not going to work. Like the people like Queen Kong is like this, is how I would describe it. It's a frat party for gay weirdos. That's what it is. So I'm like, it needs to be fun, wild, pour beer on yourself. Like, bitch pudding's great there. Throw pizza into the crowd. Like, meatball and pinche are great there. Like, it's not, it's not scary. It's fun. It's celebratory. It's very horny. Everyone's hooking up. Like, it's a very different vibe than Dragula. Yeah. What we've learned also through our travels, too, and like, you know, pat ourselves on the back a little, little further and a little more thoroughly and a little harder, is that Queen Kong is one of the most amazing queer stages right now i'd say in our country and yeah um you know there are other great queer stages that are super inclusive and can give you a real cross section of like what queer culture is kind of about but queen kong just in its consistency and in, in its how many shows you can see on any given friday night um there's a real variety and a great representation of what's kind of going on right now in like queer culture at night 
And you said that the one thing Dragula and Queen Kong share in common, I'm sure there are more, but the, the one outstanding thing is that they both get wild. Yes. Yeah. What for each of you is one of the wildest things you've ever seen on stage? I would say the last, because, you know, when we turned Dragula into show, we stopped doing it as a party, which right. we knew with the two year anniversary or was three, three year anniversary. I don't know. Three year. It was three. Yeah. We, we showed the trailer for the show and that was the last party we did. Right. And we knew that. But that night kind of made me, th- I was like, we have to stop doing this party because like the next step is like blowing up the entire club. Yeah, Cause oh I'm not goodness. exaggerating you. Like you just can't do shit like this anymore. The last night of Dragula, the, it looked like a terrorist attack had happened. And there, first of all, there was 10 million people. You, you might've been there. You couldn't was, move. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't was- even move. And so the whole crowd, after we turned on the lights, after the pageant, I was looking around the club and I was like, this is just insane. Like everybody was covered in blood and fish guts and feathers. And the, this bar staff was like, like I felt like they were looked like they were going to cry. They were like trying to scrub <laughs> shit off the walls. And I was like, <laughs> it looked like a bomb went off. And I was like, this has got to stop, you know? Like, yeah. so that's, that was pretty shocking no, to me. I, I'm going to have to agree that night. Cause that night, I think it was the same night we were kind of emulating a scene from game of Thrones. Mm. When one of the girls, one of the finalists, we had her like walk through the walk through the crowd and it was packed and have that moment of like shame shame and we were screaming shame and we passed out a bunch of food like rolls and apples and all kinds of stuff to throw at her and like shame her through the crowd and I was trying, you know, as the MC, we have the microphone, we have the power, we, and we also, you know, we have a lot of experience in kind of controlling the crowd. It was the one time in my career of being on stage where I felt like I'm losing control. I'm losing control of this crowd. This could literally be like, I mean, they started throwing blood and stuff all over, including on me. In fact, I'm seriously pissed because I have like this pristine uh, Victorian updo. That's got blood splattered all over it. And I, I was just like, no, she's she comes out unscathed. Mine has like <laughs> blood, guts and brains all over it. And I'm like, how did that happen? And there's probably no rescuing that wig. Is there? I've saved it for the last like two years or more because I am. I am determined to like reintroduce <laughs> it in a show or in some way to be able to feature but that some wig. of the stuff that happened at that club. I mean, it's you just you. Like I said, gay life is becoming safer and safer and you can't get away. I remember a time where we had like we had girls read hate speeches. So they had to get on stage and say shit that they knew people would get mad at them for. So the crowd would boo them and throw shit at them. And I'm like, you can't people saw that as a joke at the time, but now they wouldn't think they would get offended, you know, right. but it was stupid. She was like, I hate Bernie Sanders. I voted yes on prop eight, like shit like that. You know, and it was awesome. I loved it. at the time. It was really, right. you know, everyone's all super pro Bernie. And then, so that was crazy. Uh, we played dodgeball in a club. I know people would get mad about that. Now we had the club split up in a circle and the drag Queens had to play dodgeball, which of course you could get really fucked up if you did that. Yes. Yeah, it was, <laughs> but it was fun. It was very hairspray. I think it was a John Waters ball or something. They were like, all right, girls, it's time to play dodgeball. And I, I could hear someone audibly in the crowd. They were like, oh, my God, is this really going to happen? And I was like, yeah. yes, bitch, this is going to happen. And we circled. We, we brought all the finalists out onto the dance floor. They made a big circle, brought out the dodgeball, and we played like drag queen dodgeball. Pa- part of the thing of, of Dragula, it's really like if you were in a room drunk with your friends 
and you start doing stupid shit, that is, that is Dragula. I mean, that's where the challenges were kind of born from. It was like, we're part, it was almost like we're partying with all our friends and we're just being wrong. Right. And that's really what a lot of the challenges were born from. We would sit and think, what, do, what should we do tonight at the club? And we're like, oh my God, it would be so funny if so-and-so had to do this or that. And, and that's really what it came from. Like, let's, oh, okay. Like, you know, one of the type of one of the archetypes of someone that would enter the pageant is like kind of like trash queens, you know, like garbage queens or like the final lip sync is going to be very Oscar the Grouch chic. We're going to have three 30 gallon trash cans and the girls are going to rise up out of trash and deliver their lip sync from the trash cans. And that happened. And then one of them kind of pushed the other one and she rolled off the stage. Oh my and I God. Was like, <gasps> I thought she was dead, but I she got like, back up. She was fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, that's clearly uh, that that camaraderie is, I think, what connects people to it. Because like you said, it's just like a party with your friends that got out of control in a way that you wanted it to. Yeah. Uh, so before we head off into the night, this is a show that is all in honor of horror and horror films and queerness. Uh, and with that in mind, have there been any movies that you have seen recently that you like or inspire you? Or do you have any horror favorites that you really think people need to see? There's a surprise movie I watched a couple years ago, and I think it's like a Netflix movie, and it was called The Taking of Deborah Logan. Yes. Okay, that shook me. Like, you know, the, the whole idea of like the mental illness and, you know, I think is actually scary, I think, for anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's definitely a scary point, but it was that that ending scene because we we cross over into like, again, like supernatural. And I think there was like, you know, some kind of like satanic, like serpent curse or something that they were all talking about. But that special effects there at the end so insane mm -hmm. like chills actual fear yeah i would reference that movie as well and what we just saw at the theater that was annihilation annihilation was surprisingly Did kind of a that? horror movie i haven't too. seen it yet but a lot of people are really singing his praises it's it's kind of a horror movie like it wasn't billed as that and we didn't expect it and i was like wow this is like one of the scariest movies i've seen all year they go really deep too i mean it's super science fictiony but it's really satisfying uh, on, a, on a couple of levels yeah i thought the new it was really good I was entertained by it. I don't care about it, but I am excited. <laughs> <laughs> I, although I wish a drag queen would call themselves it, but whatever. Um, I am excited about the new Halloween movie, though, that they're working on. Yeah, it should be out by October. Really? Oh, Is really? that soon? Yeah. yeah. Happening. Well, because uh, I think that they're trying to land it in time for the 40th anniversary. Oh, perfect. Oh, okay. Wow. So technically, this is Halloween H40. Wow. Oh, oh my 40s. God. I. <laughs> I recently got um, re-obsessed to watch uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And I did that um, just like I think last week. Yeah, he's feeling the like kind of eighties like hor like like when when all the franchises got really bad and like right. it's like not even scary and it's just campy and fun. But it's and like funny. the welcome to prime time, bitch. I mean, yeah. it's like oh, it's and a moment. It's You'll probably see that stuff in, in yeah, season three. Be I'm some thinking influence there for sure. Like I remember being a little gay kid and the girl Taryn. I think she was like a heroin addict. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. But but her transformation. Yeah, the little suckers in there. But but her like dream manifestation with like her powers when she's like in my dreams and she's got like this mohawk and a tight leather like little tight leather jacket she's like I'm beautiful and I'm bad 
and, and like the two switchblades come yes. out and I'm like yes I think if that movie did anything wrong it's like they gave us that amazing image of her like as this like punk like icon and then yeah. they like kill her right away so <laughs> like let me have my moment yeah. to like like worship this woman no, because totally. she's with a switchblades I remember the first time I saw that I was like yes yeah, yeah that's I mean you're talking that's that's it that's like some some horror drag right there yeah, yeah. oh for sure I feel like they referenced that in Stranger Things too right with that like van of like punk kids you yeah. know it kind of riffed on that a little bit yeah. I feel like um yeah but we're really feeling kind of cheesy 80s horror right now and yeah. I think you're definitely gonna see that, that color scheme too of like yeah of Eternia and specifically Snake Mountain and well I think that one of the things that happened with the 80s that I really am grateful for is that you can make a horror movie that's colorful yeah. And you don't necessarily have to like just hide everything in shadows. Like if you look at something like uh Reanimator where everything's like neon green, that's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it shows that you can still like be spooky and scary and colorful and live outrageously, which is what we all want, I well, think. Yeah. Well, you know, Absolutely. thinking about that too, Chainsaw Massacre was kinda like during the day a lot of it, and it was still scary. That was very untraditional, you no, know. For sure. I can't stand like just when when a film just like does you, you were talking about this with bitch too, like with some of the sound engineering and, it, and it's all like sound and tension and it just makes you jump. Right. You know, to me, uh, I feel like that's the, the least satisfying type of like, oh, that's interesting. Cause that was something that bitch really likes. I hate that shit. <laughs> I fucking, I, I want something to make me kind of think and then kind of give me the chills. You yeah. Know? They're like, Oh my God, I can't like, like yeah. You want to like, like the, when you first watch the exorcist, there's moments where you're like, okay, like, you know what I mean? It, it, it now it's it's not very shocking, but at the time, yeah. it really it's messes with your head. Well, so obviously you've got season three of Dragula upcoming. What else is going on? What's next for you beyond that? We ha- we're actually taking the girls on a tour to the UK soon. That's going to be really interesting because we're going through all the cities there, a couple of different countries. Um, we Dragula season three has a lot of our attention right now. Right. So, you know, we still have a couple of massive events coming up too. we always have our Halloween ball, which this, uh, you know, is the best party we throw all year. When last year we had Elvira, Clive Barker's always involved in it. And it's our favorite party. It's kind of like a haunted mansion and a giant nightclub mixed together. And we love it. I've been, it is a blast. Yeah. So that, you know, we have that event, uh, downtown LA proud is coming up. That's like the gay pride event for, uh, for downtown. So, you know, we're still doing all the events that we're doing, although really the, the focus on the show is, Oh, Actually, I could talk about this. We're doing a big event called Dragula World coming up, which oh. yes, which is at the Globe Theater. And it's it's basically a giant celebration of Dragula. All the girls from both seasons are going to be there. There's going to be a big pageant where you can win a thousand dollars. Like so queens from all over can come and enter it. Uh, so it's going to be almost a throwback to the club, but mixed with the show, too. That's cool. Well, queens from all across the land travel to uh, Los Angeles for Dragula World. Also, I know we have some passionate listeners in the UK so please go see the Boulets while you're there uh, while they're there uh, and yes where can people find you Sherry let them have it <laughs> oh what like uh, social media and everything yeah. oh Instagram <laughs> is Boulet Brothers everything's Boulet Brothers Facebook Boulet Brothers Twitter Boulet Brothers yeah it's either Boulet Brothers or Boulet Brothers Dragula you can follow both of them excellent well thank you so much both of you for coming on the show this thank has been you. a real delight 
uh, and it was a joy to finally have you on and talk about filth, horror, glamour, and the gayness of Castle Grayskull. <laughs> uh, Castle Grayskull, don't forget. Castle Grayskull, <laughs> redubbed today. Take note, sorceress, we're coming for you. <laughs> Please keep up with the Boulay Brothers if you're in Los Angeles or at large in the world. Attend one of their club nights. You will not be disappointed. And keep your eyes open for Dragula Season 3 coming soon. This has been Dead for Phil. I'm Michael Verratti, yours always in glam and gore. Good night and good luck. <laughs>